Hello and welcome to Fantastic History. I'm Clay. I'm Sarah. We're a husband and wife duo who enjoy telling each other about amazing events, people, and mysteries throughout history. Sarah, mm-hmm. when we grow up in and and learn about our American history yeah. uh, through through uh, school and other other like more surface level places, um, it's often presented in a way that um, suggests certain key moments. Uh, everyone is sort of in agreement and oh. all got along. <laughs> uh huh. But it's usually never the case. Even in situations where we look back and think that at the time everyone must have seen this course of action as being objectively good. Right. Right. So one such event that comes to mind is the drafting of the U.S. Constitution. It is often presented as everyone involved was writing this perfect piece of law that was the backbone of the country. But that was not the case. Yeah. The drafting of the Constitution was a highly controversial matter with every state fighting hard to ensure their needs and values were met. Oh, yeah. And these values did not align all the time. If we learn nothing else from Hamilton. Yeah. It's that, you know, Virginia wanted very different things than New York, for example. Exactly. (laughs) And it reminds us that whenever politics are involved, there is never unanimous agreement. Right. There's always a clash of ideals, and sometimes those clashes are more intense. A lot like how politics are playing out today. Yeah, yeah. But I want to go back to another moment in history that is not often expanded upon, but I think it should be, because it's more complicated and chaotic than history tends to lead us on. Okay. Uh, At least history classes and things of that sort. Right. I'm talking about the first U.S. presidential election. Oh. Which took place in 1789. Oh, my gosh. Now, we know that George Washington was elected. Mm-hmm. And growing up, I'd always thought that he was basically basically given, it, it was basically a given that he was going to be president. Right. And everyone at the time pretty much said, well, we got to have a president. Right. That's what you do. Yeah. And George Washington is the only man for the job. Yeah. And that is true, part of it, um, but it isn't the whole story. I'm stunned. So I want to talk to you about <laughs> the whole, more of the story. Okay. Let's start with addressing how very different things were back then as opposed to now, because it was the first election. The Constitution had just been ratified in 1788, and it outlined the office of the president and the vice president and the Electoral College. But besides that, nothing else had been established yet. So there were no political parties. Right. There were no rallies. Mm -hmm. There were no debates. And there was no campaigning because there were no official candidates. Interesting. Or running mates. But the two opposing ideas um, that, that, that could be like the stand-in for political parties at the mm-hmm. time were the Federalists, yep. who supported the Constitution, and the Anti-Federalists, mm-hmm. who did not. Yep. And this formed what could be the insert for the political parties at the election, these two ideas. Uh, the Constitution was the biggest issue of this election, actually, um, which, go- looking back, is kind of surprising because um, it's always framed as like the Constitution is so, it's like it's so instrumental to the country. How could it have ever been, um, <laughs> you know, uh-huh. controversial? 
But it's it as 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 we already said, it certainly was. It's still pretty controversial today, honestly. <laughs> certainly, I mean, it's been it's been amended a lot. Uh huh. For that very reason, so the so the Constitution was the biggest issue in this election. Uh, would the United States continue to use it following this election? It was going to be a big test for the Constitution if this how how this um, election played out. This new federal government. Mm-hmm. Um. So, of course, the Constitution is not a perfect document. Um, And in fact, if you didn't know this before, you may have noticed that the Constitution was ratified, as I said, in 1788, right? That's 13 years after America won its independence. So during those 13 years, the United States basically behaved like a united but separated states. There were not a single country at this time. Mm -hmm. But they worked together to accomplish unified goals like their independence from Britain, for instance. And during this time, the only thing that was close to a federal level that encompassed these states was the Continental Congress. Right. It was only later that many states believed it would be beneficial to join together as a union, which led to the Constitutional Convention of 1787. And this convention was intended to update um, the, the law that had been established after independence which was the articles of confederation yeah um so the the the, again the convention was intended to update those articles but many proponents actually wanted to create an entirely new government something totally new and different yeah and this effort was led by james madison yeah and alexander hamilton Ah! yay and george washington was named president of the uh, of the convention. Yeah. See, uh, setting the stage for him to be favored as president of the new government. Interesting. Okay. Now, George Washington was indeed favored and supported by both federalists and anti-federalists to become president. So that's like the only time in history that's ever happened, right? Where like both quote unquote parties were like, this guy. I don't know. I, I, I'm sure it, it, it's the most unanimous it's ever been because mm-hmm. Washington just was, it seemed like he was beyond all that. Right. Um, I wonder, I, I'm sure there were probably other other times that something similar happened, but I, I can't imagine it was to this degree. Right. Well, and I mean, even there's no getting around talking about Hamilton in this episode. Like that's become like one of the jokes of the podcast is that I can't stop talking about Hamilton in like uh, yeah. every episode. But this one, like there's no chance of not talking about it. So like, I mean, we find out that like Jefferson decided he was going to run for president against Washington and Washington's like, okay, fam, I'm just not going to run anymore. Like I'm tired. I want to go home and like hang out. And by that point, they did have a two-party system. Yeah. So it's like Washington was the only president before we broke into a two-party system that he specifically told us not to do. Well, it's funny when you look at, um, at websites and things about the election, Washington is the only person who is labeled as independent, (laughs) even though there weren't parties, right? That you you could still label people as federalist, -federalist, anti-federalist. But Washington was neither. Right. He was like, he was straight down the middle, which is probably why everyone loved him so much. Yeah, that's kind of what we need. Um, yeah. Would be great. It, it, was, it, was, it was the perfect uh, guy for the perfect time. Um, but Washington, you know, he didn't have a running mate. Right, yeah. So the office of vice president 
that was up for grabs. And that's because back then, the vice president was chosen as whoever came in second in the election. Right. Received the second highest vote total. Which is like the funniest thing. Like you guys were like heated, like major opponents. Now you must work together closely for the next four years. Like it's just kind of funny to think about. Now, even though Washington was not necessarily a federalist or an anti-federalist, um, he was still he he still favored um, the government that he was going to be in charge of. Yeah, he wasn't going to go in and just try to dismantle things or cause an uproar. Like he leaned federalist, even though he was more he uh, uh, independent. When you read some of his letters, he's like, "I will do what." If I'm elected, I'm going to do what I'm elected to do. Right. I'm not going to try to make these grand sweeping changes. I'm going to just follow what is what has been set forth. Right. Which um, is actually not what the anti-federalists wanted. Yeah. Because they didn't like this constitution. They didn't like this federal government. Right. So when they saw that the uh, when they saw that the vice presidency was up for grabs, <laughs> they saw an opportunity uh-huh. there. Uh-huh. But let's back up a little bit because there is another important issue here. The vote itself. How would the president be elected? Well, this was decided by the framers of the Constitution. They created this new concept that had never been, that was brand new in the world. No one had ever done this before. The Electoral College. Boo! (laughs) Which would be separate from the legislative branch. The Electoral College would elect the president. Mm -hmm. But how would the electors be appointed? Hmm. Well, the Constitution didn't say anything about that. (laughs) Yeah, instead... (laughs) We're just going to come up with this word, Electoral College. Okay, cool. Well, what does that mean? No, it it meant something. No, sorry. I've already clocked out for the day. (laughs) Figure it out on your own. No, it meant something. (laughs) It said you have to send your electors. Uh But it didn't say how you choose your electors. Right. Because it left that up to the states to decide. The states, you you choose how you're going to handle this, but this has to be how it's done on on the federal level. Mm -hmm. And it's the same system we have today, Mm. you know. When we vote in when we vote in November for the president, we're actually voting for the electors. Then whatever electors win, they go to Washington to cast their vote for the president. And this has usually never been a problem, you know, in our lifetimes, mm-hmm. except the most recent election mm-hmm. when some states were like, Well, we're gonna send uh, we're gonna send other electors. We're gonna choose uh-huh. electors that didn't um that weren't chosen by the by the vote. We're going to send those guys up there, uh-huh. and they're going to vote the way we want them to. Yeah, these guys that are supposedly so pro-Constitution. My constitutional rights. My constitutional rights. Yeah. Oh, the Constitution says I have to do this? Well, I don't want to. Yeah. Cool, guys. Appreciate it. Vote blue. So, in 1789, the electors were chosen on January 7th. You know, the people went to... Went to um, cast their vote usually at like a town hall mm-hmm. or something like that and they elected the electors okay and then the electors met and elected the president on February 4th because the constitution allows congress to choose when election day and a elector day take place so now it's the tuesday after the first monday in november <laughs> 
and the electors elect the president in mid-December. Right. So it's a little different the first time. Right. A little different dates. They probably didn't get the day off work either, which is... They really should have put that in the Constitution. That would have been a great idea. Yeah. Now, this is where the story gets a little chaotic. (laughs) Since every state was given the freedom to decide how they were going to choose their electors, and this was the first time they were doing it, it's a bit of a chaotic scene, especially by today's standards. First of all, only 11 states could participate in the election of the original, of the of the 13, yeah. as we know. Um, that's because Rhode Island and North Carolina did not, um, they had rejected the Constitution. Oh. So they didn't get to participate in the first election. <laughs> They were not they were not invited. They found out, yeah. The remaining states all implemented different methods on how they were going to choose their electors. Georgia, South Carolina, New Jersey, Connecticut, and New York all had their state legislator choose the electors. Okay. That was it. Massachusetts and New Hampshire saw a hybrid system where voters chose a group of electors in December and then the state legislator selected the final electors from that list okay and then pennsylvania delaware maryland and virginia would let the voters choose the electors directly and so just for clarification the voters at this time you had to be a white male landowner is that correct yes and in some cases there was a uh there might have been a literacy test. There may have been a, a religion requirement. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. Okay. There are all sorts of requirements to ensure that only very select people were voting. Even though religious freedom is a foundation of the country. Hey, this was this was a very, a very different time. Yeah, but this was also the time where they were like writing the Constitution yeah. and putting those protections and stuff in place. Yeah. Okay, fellas. All right. Well, as a side note, the Bill of Rights proposed the first 12 amendments to the Constitution, but they were not chosen until after the election. Okay. So there was no there was no First Amendment. Gotcha. When the Constitution was written. Makes sense, yeah. Or when this election took place. Right. So that's something to keep in mind. All right. So going back to the states. Yeah. Pennsylvania had a general election where you chose uh, 10 electors. Mm-hmm. Simple. Maryland's general election required that five electors were from the west of the Chesapeake and three were from the east of the Chesapeake. Sure. Virginia and Delaware created electoral districts to select Mm. their electors. Mm -hmm. So you can see how the states were choosing their electors (laughs) gave insight into the politics of the state. Right. Uh, For example, Pennsylvania was dominated by federalists. Yep. So they wanted a general election because... Uh, high population cities would vote federalist. Yep. And cancel out all the votes from the rural areas yep. that might vote anti federalist. So that's what they wanted. Yeah. <clears throat> but Virginia was run by anti federalists. So they created these districts to ensure that the cities and the ports and all these more federalist areas mm-hmm. wouldn't dominate the vote. Right. They could split it up so that they would only get like three electors, let's say, and the more rural areas would be able to elect more of their preferred electors. Yeah. We see the exact same thing happening today with like controversial gerrymandering. I just, 
you know, <laughs> hot take here, but we should just count the votes. We should just count the actual votes and see who everybody kind of actually wants. Well, they did not. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> you know what? I doubt they ever will. Yeah. But um, that's what they should be doing. So this power struggle over electors came to a head in two states, New York and New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. Both states legislator had uh, divided houses. Ooh. In New York, the Senate had a Federalist majority, and the Assembly had an Anti-Federalist majority. Uh-oh. And both houses had a different idea of how they were going to choose their electors, which benefited them. Right. The Federalists wanted each house to, cho- to choose four electors, meaning the Federalists would get four, and the Anti-Federalists would get four. But the Anti-Federalists wanted the whole legislator to vote as a whole, Mm. which would give them the majority and allow them to sweep with all eight electors. Right. So neither house had come to an agreement on how to proceed. And a similar power struggle was occurring in New Hampshire until the 11th hour, possibly hours until the deadline, um, New Hampshire came to an agreement where they were able to choose their electors and get right in at the at the buzzer. Um, but that's not what happened in New York. There was no agreement by the deadline. Uh-oh. So New York did also did not participate <gasps> in the election. Oh no. Because they had no electors to send. Wow. So way to go. Three of those thirteen states did not participate <laughs> in the election of seventeen eighty nine at all. Good job. Yeah. Good job, guys. So now we know how the election of 1789 worked. The real drama was behind the scenes. As I said earlier, people and electors were not voting for president and vice president. They were voting only for president, Mm -hmm. right? Yep. And as far as the popular vote went, Washington received 100% of it. Hell yeah. But again, voters were not picking the president, uh, like directly saying, I want Washington to be president. Um, they were voting for their electors to go and vote for Washington to be president, right? Right. So the electors didn't have to vote for Washington if they didn't want to. Um, they could... Actually, if, if they did, um, there would be no vice president. Because yeah. uh, all the votes would go to Washington and there would be zero votes for anyone else. <laughs> and, and this sort of reveals that the system that they had was pretty flawed. Yeah. It didn't make sense. No. Um, there was no way to choose for a vice president. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Federalists who wrote the Constitution this way feared that the Anti-Federalists were going to take advantage of it. Yeah, you think? Yeah. So they feared the one outcome that could be, that could happen on Election Day is that all Federalist electors would vote for Washington. Okay. And that left no Federalist votes towards a vice president, mm. meaning anti-Federalist could get their man elected as, as vice president. Yep. And their favorite man was uh, a man named George Clinton. And in this example, having a Federalist, an anti-Federalist as the second highest rank in the elect- uh, um, executive branch could mean that they could possibly get a second constitutional convention. Oh, or at least get some amendments in to, um, to sway the Constitution more towards what they wanted. Mm-hmm. 
Another outcome that's that they feared that actually seemed a lot more likely is uh, so. So what if the Federalists planned for this outcome? They said, okay, if we if we all vote for Washington, the Anti-Federalists. And by the way, the Anti-Federalists were not like a massive group. Right. It wasn't like it is today. Right. Where you have 60-40 or 45-55 split. It's not, it wasn't like that. It was heavily favored for Federalists. Right. By like 90 to 10. Mm. But, <laughs> but, it's, but there was still an opportunity to cause some mischief, right? Sure. So what if Federalists planned for that outcome? And they said, um, "We're not gonna, we're not gonna all vote for Washington. We're gonna give some votes to John Adams, right, uh, to ensure that he doesn't fall into third place, right. Well, that might work, yeah, unless the Anti-Federalists give their votes to Adams too. Oh, now mm-hmm. why would why would they do that? John Adams is a Federalist, uh huh." Well, that's because um, the combined votes would put Adams in first place. Right. Making him the first president. Oh. And Washington the vice president. Oh. Which would have been crazy. That would have been the worst thing. And if this happened, um, it wouldn't necessarily be a win for the Anti-Federalists, but it would undermine the Constitution in its first big test because Adams was not liked. (laughs) Yeah, I am aware of that. He was not liked in the South. (laughs) He was not liked in the more rural areas. Uh Um, You know, they they, they favored Washington. Mm -hmm. So if Adams won and Washington came in second, they would say, this system sucks. (laughs) This is terrible. We got to fix this constitution. Right. So that would be a... A, a pretty good outcome for them. Yeah, playing the long game. So this fear that um, Adams might become president um, led to a lot of Federalists uh, working on a plan to avoid this. There, there was actually no evidence that this was going to happen. They just saw any possible um, any possible uh, sabotage, right? And they said we, we we can't allow that to happen. We have to we have to be very careful about this um so they, they they formed this plan and one of the biggest contributors to this cause was alexander hamilton Ayo, it's your boy <laughs> he urged electors who were voting for washington to also give some votes to adams but also throw away some votes to people who would never be elected like john milton <laughs> and benjamin lincoln oh, okay and hamilton's plan actually came to fruition course it did when the votes were cast on february 4th there were many names that received less than three votes there were a lot of votes cast and i think it was somewhere like 12 people had received votes wow um mickey mouse bart (laughs) simpson no there were no there were no jokes there's a lot of familiar names okay um john hancock was on there sure but i don't think he was a throwaway Right. I think there were some people who generally wanted him to be vice president. Makes sense. Um, but ironically, uh, the anti-federalist George Clinton only received three votes himself. Wow. And when the when all the votes were counted, George Washington received by far the most. 
Yeah. And John Adams received about half of what Washington received. Interesting. So this fear of a coup was a complete overreaction. Uh Uh-huh. The election was not even close. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. So Washington and Adams were sworn in on April 30th, 1789. And looking back at some of the letters from Washington to others, we get an idea of how he felt being chosen to lead as the first president. Okay. In a letter to Hamilton, he says, Now, if I am not grossly deceived in myself, I should unfeignedly rejoice in the case the electors, by giving their votes in favor of some other person, (laughs) would save me from the dreaded dilemma of being forced to accept or refuse. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds like Washington. Yeah. And in a letter to Benjamin Harris, he says, I will therefore declare to you that if I should be my inevitable fate, or sorry, if it should be my inevitable fate to administer the government, for heaven knows that no event can be less desired by me, (laughs) that no earthly consideration short of so called, of so general a call together with a desire to reconcile contending parties as far as in me lays could again bring me to public life. I will go to the chair under no pre-engagement of any kind or nature whatsoever. See, this is exactly what we've been talking about, how the type of person who actually wants that type of power, like to be the leader of the free world, quote unquote, the commander in chief and da 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 da. Anybody who wants to be in government, like at the state level or higher, you are psychotic. Like that is a level of power that you're reaching for that is gross and no good person actually wants to take on that kind of power. I think that so, I think that there are good people, but there's but there's a lot of bad people too. Obviously, I think there are people that start out with good intentions. Like I would never say an unkind word about Barack Obama. It's simply not going to happen. But to want to wield that much power, I don't know, man. Like there's something that's different about you. Like so it it. George Washington is like a great example of what I'm talking about. Cause we always look at him as like, obviously an extremely pro- problematic guy, like in his personal life, uh, just a horrible human being uh, for completely other reasons. But to, to like, look at that and be like, I really, I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't want it. That's the kind of person that we should be electing. Yeah. Like you have the smarts to lead, like the ability to do it, but you don't want to do it because that just doesn't sound like, what you're into well it seems that fate would not allow this poor man a moment's rest no matter how much he begged for it Mm -mm. they just keep every time he gets out you know he he, he was (laughs) he was in the war yeah he was like thank god i'm done with that Uh uh-huh constitutional convention Uh uh-huh they pull him back in then Uh he's like okay done with that presidency pull him back Mm -hmm. the man can't get he just wants to fish he's he's murtaugh from Lethal Weapon. Like, he's getting too old for this shit. Like, he just wants to retire, you know? Yeah. Well, that's the story of the very first U.S. presidential election. <laughs> There's a lot that was left out. Yeah. Um, obviously, but I, uh, when I, when I first, and then this is relatively recently that I looked into this and learned about it and was, you know, pretty surprised. It's one of those things that we talk about a lot where it's, um, it's a topic that you don't you can't, you sort of take it 
take um, for granted. Right. You just you grow up learning about it, and you're like, okay, it, this is the way it was. And if you ever thought about it a little deeply, you're like, there's no way it was as simple and clear cut as it's usually presented. Right. But often you don't really think about it. What I remember from school is it was always like everybody wanted him to do it. Like he was such like he saved us from England and everybody wanted him to be king. But he said, no, we shouldn't have a king. I'll be president. And everyone was happy. And we all yep. held hands. Yeah. You know, just. Yeah. Yeah. Which if you like. Like many things in life that we're taught as children, if you take a second as an adult to like think about it logically, makes no sense. No. Makes no sense. No, there's there's always more to the story, usually no matter what the story is. Yeah. That's what makes history kind of fun. Yeah, I agree. Well, thank you for listening. And uh, if you enjoyed this episode or any of our past episodes, why don't you rate or review us on whatever pat. Uh, podcast platform you are listening to us on podcast podcast um we are on twitter and instagram at fantastic h pod and if you want to send us an email with a suggestion for a topic or just some general feedback we are fantastic history pod at gmail.com until next week bye bye